when I was a, uh, a missionary the first time that I lived in, in, uh, in China back in the early 2000s, I uh, would write these monthly newsletters to supporters, and uh, at, at one point I just had a, a burden to write a, a letter and just tell them about all the ways that I'd failed, and uh, all the things that weren't going well, and all the things that depressed me, and all the things that uh, were difficult, and, and I had more feedback uh, positively on that uh, newsletter that I sent out than, than, than anything else that I had done, and I think it was, it was people connecting with, hey, that's real life. Uh, we have a lot of uh, good things that we see, and we all know that in our own lives. Uh, so tonight, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about that uh, idea just of the, the highs and lows and the ups and downs of, of ministry. Uh, one of my most consistent prayer requests, really, over the, the last two years that we lived in China was for a guy that I'll call uh, E. Uh, and E, and I, he was a professor at a very prestigious uh, kind of world-renowned uh, university, and a uh, professor uh, there, and I'd, I'd been praying with him, uh, praying for him for, for the last two years that we were there, and and uh, met with him every other week at the university where he was a professor, and uh, just conversation after conversation, just kind of trying to chip away, chip away. And, um, you know, we, I wanted it so badly for him to, to become a Christian. And you can go back in my journal and see me just praying over and over again that, that before I left China, uh, I would see E uh, repent and trust in Christ and be able to, to baptize him in our church, uh, which baptize him in our church meant a bathtub in somebody's apartment uh, that we'd all gather around. An evening service, actually, our evening service is where we would do baptisms, and we'd all crowd around a, a, a bathtub, and uh, the music leader would actually cram into the shower and play his guitar sideways like this. He would stand up, and we'd baptize in the bathtub, and the kids were all in the splash zone, like we're gathered right around the thing. And, uh, so anyway, that was my dream to, to see that with, with E. Now, salvation is in God's hands, and so it, it, it seems a little strange to talk about, you know, somebody getting close. Uh, but, yeah, I think you guys know what I mean when you're, you're just talking with somebody over time, and you're like, I, I, think, they, I think they almost get it. I, I think they're getting closer and closer. And so I was more and more hopeful uh, for, for E. He felt like he was right on the cusp. Well, he kept getting closer, and we kept meeting, and then COVID hit. And his school, because he didn't have access, uh, his school shut down in our city, uh, and they had a sister school in the Middle East, and so his school kind of packed him up so he could do his research and this book that he was writing and sent him to the Middle East. Haven't seen him since. Uh, so that was obviously uh, kind of deflating for me, something that I'd really uh, desired to see, and it's just a reminder that missions work has its letdowns, just like life for you guys has its letdowns. Kim and I met... Uh, for marriage counseling with one couple uh, for about two years to repair a broken uh, uh, marriage. Uh, there had been adultery and abandonment in the same marriage. Uh, uh, the husband actually fled the country after uh, immorality in his life and had kind of fled and was in Taiwan. And we uh, eventually talked him into to coming back. Uh, Kim and I met uh, every week for two years uh, with this couple. Uh, and praise God, uh, this couple uh, reconciled the relationship, they have a kid together, and they're both leaders in their local church. At the same time, there's another couple, very similar situation that we met with for over a year and really didn't see any growth at all, uh, meeting with them weekly over the course uh, of a year. And I honestly don't know if they were any better off at the end of the time that we met with them for marriage counseling than they were at the beginning. We had one couple come to us for premarital counseling, and it was a breath of fresh air. The man was from Zambia. The woman was from Botswana. 
This was just in this last year. Uh, wonderful couple. We went through premarital counseling with them and had the honor of uh, one of our last uh, months in Shanghai to perform their wedding on a rooftop overlooking the city of Shanghai, this just beautiful African wedding. And my daughter was the flower girl. Uh, my youngest daughter was the flower girl in the wedding. Had another couple come to us for premarital counseling. And after one meeting, the whole thing blew up and has led to uh, a number of incidences, both private and public. And by public, I mean the girl showing up and, and screaming at him in the middle of our church service uh, in Shanghai, which led to my wife, I want, I've never seen this before, uh, my wife having to go in the middle of church and grab her by both shoulders and say, you have to stop. So, welcome to the ministry. Um, we had some missionaries who were on the field because of our church. One of the things that we wanted to see through our church was uh, that, that we would minister to the, what we call the missionary and the marketplace community in our city, a uh, very m massive global city, and that we, would, uh, we wanted through our church that the, the, the missionaries who were there for them to be healthier while they're there and to, for them to stay longer. And we wanted the engineers and the educators and the business people in our city who were Christians to, to be healthier while they're there and to stay longer. And so that was a huge win in our, in our church anytime. So we had this uh, one really close couple who said the only reason we are still on the mission field is because of this church. If it wasn't for this church existing, we, we would have left her. We wouldn't have come back. We wouldn't be here right now. At the same time, we actually recruited a couple couples from Memphis to come over, come over and join uh, the work with us there. And they all left in less than a year with some wounds and scars on them. One Chinese pastor I'd meet with regularly, always encouraged and uplifting time. I've learned probably way more from him than he learned from me as we would meet and talk about the work of ministry and pastoring and shepherding churches. And we would share things that were going on in each other's flocks and give each other advice. And uh, we'd meet for breakfast uh, every month and uh, super encouraging to me. There's another Chinese pastor that, always, that I met with that just always seemed discouraged. I just wanted to weep for him. Every time that we would meet, he just seemed confused in ministry, not really sure what he was doing. Um, and it was, it was hard. He was always overwhelmed and confused. Every sermon he wrote seemed like the hardest thing he'd ever done in his life. He was working 40 hours a week on his sermon and still wasn't good, didn't have any joy in the ministry. So I met with that guy regularly. I tried to form relationships with other international pastors in our city. There's a number of other international churches that were kind of above ground registered churches with the government. We were uh, more on the, on the uh, underground side of things. And, and so I would meet with these other pastors in, in our city and try to uh, form relationships with them and uh, try to influence them, give them good resources, have conversations with them uh, where we could. And there's a couple of these brothers that uh, formed really good relationships with. I feel like I was able to have some, some good inroads and uh, influence in their lives. And they would even invite me to, to come and preach at their church from time to time. There's another one of the pastors uh, who didn't really care for my ministry or for my theological con convictions and actually came at me publicly. And the last time we had a, a pastor's prayer meeting uh, all together, he uh, came at me pretty, <laughs> pretty hard and fast to let uh, me know what he thought of my theology. My guess is that you guys face similar ups and downs in your own lives you're in ministries, I'm sure the missionaries that we support and that we've been spending time with this week and have similar things of things that go really well and things that don't quite go really well. Well, I want to be careful tonight to, to not define success as when things go well and failure as when things don't seem to go so well. 
Success in ministry is faithfulness in ministry, and faithfulness in ministry looks like hard gospel work and easy gospel rest. That's what I want to look at in the rest of our time this morning. Success in ministry is faithfulness in ministry, and faithfulness in ministry looks like hard gospel work and easy gospel rest. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're just going to read a couple verses there, and we'll, we'll jump around a little bit. I want to look at a couple different things and jump to Acts where we were this morning as well, but we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul writing about the ministry of, of, of the apostles, and he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is how one should regard us as stewards of the, I'm sorry, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So Paul, in both of those terms that he uses, both the idea of a servant and the idea of a steward, you see kind of the, the same idea there that, that uh, in ministry we are servants and we're servants of a king. We're servants of King Jesus. We are serving him. We bring his message. We do his work. We preach his word. It is, it is him and we are servants of the opportunities that he gives us. The same idea is there behind the idea of a steward. We are stewards of the mysteries of God or, or that word can mean a manager Somebody who manages something or is a steward of something. We are managers, stewards of the mysteries of God, of the uh, truth that we have in God's word, of the glories of Christ going not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and the gospel going to all nations. We are managers of that. We are stewards of that. Something has been entrusted to us in the same way that a servant has a ministry entrusted to them or a work entrusted to them by a king, in the same way a steward has something that is given to him or to her, and they are to manage that and to, to handle that well. Both of these point to the fact that we're not the ones in charge here. But what does success look like for us? He says here, it is required. What is required of these stewards, these managers, these servants? It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So what success looks like for us, it looks like being found faithful. And so as all those stories that I told you at the beginning of the things that went well and the things that didn't go so well, personally, I've, 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 this perspective here has helped me to see that as long as I'm being faithful to God's word and faithful to proclaiming the gospel of Christ, all of those things, I, I'm not marking them up as successes or failures, I'm marking them up as, as faithfulness and trusting the Lord and his good timing and his, good, uh, his providence and uh, his pleasure at the ministry that he's giving me as a steward and as a servant. So what does faithfulness look like? Well, I, I think there's two things here that I, I would want us to see from the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So the same Apostle Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and 2, we're going to see a couple other things that are present in his life as well. And one is hard gospel work, and number two is easy gospel rest. So Paul and Corinth, so right, this is the, the first letter to the, the church at Corinth. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. But what I want to do is I want to go back to Acts 18, because Acts 18 is actually when Paul was in Corinth. So the same people who were receiving this letter, who were hearing Paul said, hey, we're, 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 you are to regard us as servants, you are to regard us as stewards, and moreover, it's required of stewards that we be found faithful. 
Well, that, that's, his, that's Paul's conception of what success is. He's defining success as faithfulness. Well, let's look at what Paul's character was like when he was with these people. Look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So there he is. This is the church that he later writes these letters to. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And so, you ever heard people talk about tent making ministry and missions that people go and, and will, will have a job that they work? This is kind of, this is what Paul does in Corinth. Paul goes there, and they were of the same trade, and so he actually works with them as a tent maker. So note that, Paul is working in Corinth as a tent maker. Verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. That he reasons in the synagogue every Sabbath, weekly, and tries to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, if you're reading through the book of Acts and, uh, at any point, maybe in your Bible in a year this year, if you're going through, it is amazing to see how often this uh, phrase comes up in Paul's ministry. So, so just, I'll, you don't have to look to all these if you don't want to, but just in Acts chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, right? We read that. Acts chapter 18, verse 13, Galileo, uh, Galileo uh, bringing a charge against Paul there, and it says, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Acts chapter 19, verse 8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 26, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Acts chapter 26, verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time you would persuade me to be a Christian? Acts chapter 28, verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, he came to, uh, he came, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers from morning till even, evening. He expounded to them, testifying, so from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and from Moses and from the prophets. So you see Paul's ministry, you see what he was about, you see what he's doing. That, so he's in Corinth and he, he's doing the, the work of working with his hands to, to provide for himself. He's tent making, but then he's also reasoning in the Sabbath. This was a big part of his ministry that he was constantly trying to, to, to make sure that everybody around him was convinced of who Jesus really was, trying to persuade them and to convince them. You see that over and over and over, reasoning with people. Back in Acts chapter 18, verses uh, 6 and verse 9, you see him facing opposition that he perseveres through. In verse 6, it says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 9, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So he's, he's uh, opposed, but he's persevering. Acts chapter 18, verse 10 for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He does this for a year and a half with the Corinthians. 
Now, why do I run through all of that? The reason is that when we're talking about success, I think it's common now for us to see that success, we should understand success not in a, in a, in a worldly sense of numbers, not in, a, in, a, in a, the ways that we might measure success in a, in a worldly sense, but, but as Christians, and as Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 4, that it is required of us that we be found faithful. But what I don't want us to do is to ever hide behind faithfulness as kind of a gloss for, for laziness or from shrinking back and saying, oh, my, my, my neighbors know I'm a Christian. I'm just going to be faithfully present and wait for them to kind of one day show up and, and ask me about Jesus. No, 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 my coworkers, yeah, I, I, surely they saw me wearing that cross necklace that one time. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to be faithfully around them, and I'm not going to say the things they say, and I'm not going to do the stuff at happy hour that they're doing at happy hour, and I'm, I'm just going to be nearby and just be faithful in that way, right? That, that, that Paul didn't settle for a f- hiding behind a, a, a kind of a windshield of faithfulness and allow that to shrink him back from doing hard gospel work. You see that in his ministry in Corinth. And so when they receive this letter from him, and they see back in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and Paul says, how should one regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God? Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul sees success as faithfulness, but that does not in any way cause him to shrink back from hard gospel work. So just saying, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful, that's fine as long as faithfulness sees that there's hard gospel work to be done. And not ever seeing it as an excuse for laxity or for a lack of concern or a lack of, of urgency. The same Paul that wrote 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 through 2 lived Acts 18 that we just saw. So church, just take that as an encouragement. Missionaries who are screaming in, take that as an, as an encouragement to, to, to engage in the hard gospel work. And that is part of what faithfulness looks like. is blood, sweat, and tears putting ourselves out there enough to where we do have stories both of successes and of failures, of standing and preaching God's word enough to where we do have moments where we've said things that everybody's patted us on the back for and things where people have said, hey, you kind of stepped on my toes there. That, that, that's all part of good gospel work and continuing to do hard gospel work. But along with that, the other side of this coin that we see here. Success, is, success in ministry is faithfulness in ministry, and faithfulness looks like both hard gospel work, but it also looks like easy gospel rest. St. Paul that wrote 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 through 2 wrote 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 through 5. Look back earlier in the same letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. He says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." There's an ease to our ministry. At the same time that there's hard gospel work, there's an ease of gospel rest because we do realize this is God's word. We do realize that it is God's word, his power to change people and not our own. So Paul says here, I didn't come with any lofty speech or wisdom, but I focus on Christ crucified, he says there in verse two. His message, 
His presence was one of weakness rather than one of of eloquence or smooth speech or rhetorical power or anything like that. Verse 3 says he he proceeded, if you call that in verse 3, he proceeded with fear and trembling, likely meaning that he was afraid that he'd rely on himself and on his own abilities and not on the Spirit, and that they'd be more attracted to, to that than to the message, and that terrified him. Isn't that amazing? I love that Paul was terrified of giving the people what they wanted. He proceeded with fear and trembling. He was terrified of of simply giving the people what they wanted. Sometimes what we want isn't what we need. This is, of course, true with gospel realities. Paul didn't want his rhetorical flair to overshadow the gospel, no matter how much people wanted rhetorical flair. So think about this. This is the danger or perhaps a good word to the danger of, of even over-contextualizing in ministry, if that over-contextualizing sometimes means just giving people what they want. For instance, what people want might be, hey, what we want in our church is we want more of a 20-minute sermon, sermonette, kind of a motivational speech sprinkled with some Bible verses in it, maybe even a sermon that's filled with movie clips or other things of entertainment value. That, that's what we want. And Paul says, I'm not, not going to give that to you. Right? Well, what we want is a gospel that doesn't talk about sin or about wrath or uh, about hell at any point. We want more of a feel-good, positive, uplifting message. That's what we want. Paul would say, what, what we want isn't always what we need. What we want is preaching that never pokes our idols and never makes us feel uncomfortable. Paul says, no, I fear and tremble that I would do that and that you would cling to that versus the pure gospel of Christ. What we want is a gospel that promises healing and money and material goods and good fortune. Paul says, no, that's not, that's not the task. That's not the job. This is what people want. is not a good reason for giving it to them. The danger would be that it would work, honestly. It would draw people in, but it draws people into the wrong things. So Paul says, that I'm not about that. I'm not doing that. The gospel gives him easy gospel rests in his ministry. He doesn't have to get mixed up and, and trying to pander to people and trying to, to have his rhetorical flair come through so that uh, these, uh, they loved rhetorical flair in Corinth and he could do that and draw a crowd. Again, he wanted to persuade. He wanted to convince people. He was all about doing that, but he wasn't going to do it in a way that just giving them what they want would overshadow the gospel of Christ. You don't want to attract the people with the wrong things. So if you look again at verses 4 and 5, Paul avoided the very thing that fascinated them because that's not what it's all about. And yet, Paul still communicated in a way that he thought represented wisdom and that really did contain power and that was indeed persuasive. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Do you just feel the the ease of the gospel permeate through Paul's ministry? He doesn't care who gets the credit. He doesn't care. Yeah, I I planted Apollos waters. It doesn't matter to me. There's an easy gospel rest to his ministry 
but he's focusing on the right thing, the gospel of Christ, above all these other ancillary issues and, and uh, uh, approaches and, and things that people would want. And then he doesn't care who gets the credit. He knows that God gives the growth, whether it's by your hand or by somebody else's hand. Regardless of your role, God will do his work. I think this is incredibly freeing as we think about doing ministry and as we think about engaging in missions. The message isn't complicated. The message isn't complicated. The message is Christ crucified. As Paul said, he he, uh, knew nothing among them except Christ and him crucified, the pure gospel message of the death and resurrection of Jesus and of our own turning from our sins and trusting in him for eternal life and then living our own lives as if we've died to sin and risen and and are now living and walking in newness of life as well, pursuing uh, Christ's likeness and holiness. That's, That's the message. That's the ministry. That's what he's engaged in. That is, makes things incredibly uncomplicated in our ministry and in our mission. And another thing that, that, that this communicates is that the community does the work. I, I, I think back to my early days as a missionary in China. This is back in the early 2000s. And, and, and I, I shudder sometimes to think of, of how territorial I was in ministry. Um, it, was, it was just kind of gross. I've had to apologize to people that I served with back then. Because it, I was, it was weird. It was, it was, you know, it was like I, I had a guy that I was discipling. And then I would see one of my buddies meeting with him. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing, man? That's my guy. Like, what do you, I meet with him. Like, what are you doing? Why don't you go meet with your own guy? Right? And, and, and I don't know if I said it right up like that, but that's, I think, looking back, that's what my heart was saying. Like, that was, and it was just this gross kind of territorial. And so, in the process, I, I pushed people down in leadership so that I could be elevated in leadership. I made sure that they were not platformed so that I could be platformed. And I look back and just, and, and just want to go back and smack myself. Back and I said, what are you doing? This is God's work. You're a steward. You're a servant. Don't be territorial. Don't get into that business. It's, it's ugly. And so Paul, whenever we have the, the pure gospel message and realize that God's doing the work and we have an easy gospel rest in the midst of hard gospel work, we can have that perspective to say, man, praise God. You meet with them. I meet with them. Ten people meet with them. We're going to see God do his work, and God's going to bring the growth, and we're going to praise God because of that. And then realizing that the fruit is God's to bring. I think during this season of, of uh, just weirdness with, with coronavirus, I, I think we're going to come out of this, uh, one, weary, <laughs> uh, but two, hopefully with stories of, of creative ways that we were able to, to reach out to neighbors, even neighbors who may not want to come out of their homes or may not want to see people, creative ways that we were able to, even our missionaries during this weird time of, uh, of not being able to get into countries that they want to get into or, or get onto college campuses that they want to get on, uh, onto and have access to, that is happening all around the world. But my prayer is all for our missionaries, for us here at First of Anne, that we wouldn't just come out of this weird tragic, difficult, weary season saying, man, we, we made it through. But come out of this season and say, listen, God was doing something weird, but let me tell you stories of creative ways that we were able to work and do hard gospel work in the midst of that with the pure gospel message and, and have hard gospel work and easy gospel rest and listen to some of the things that God was able to do through that. 
We're only able to do that if we keep our eyes on Jesus and uh, away from the things that are going to be tempting to distract us and to divide us and to make us fight amongst ourselves and to do that, to take our eyes off of that and to put our eyes on Jesus and to realize that his kingdom and his glory and his gospel is what is preeminent and we can focus on that. And when able to come out of this, not just with some survival stories, but of stories of, of thriving and of seeing God do some incredible things. Well, God reinforced this truth to me by the, the end of the story of my friend E that I opened up with, you know, the professor at this prestigious university who was kind of shipped off to the Middle East to do his research and write his book and never saw him. Uh, well, just uh, about a month and a half ago, I, I got a message from him, uh, and he said, Jason, I, I finally uh, repented and trusted in Jesus. And it was one of my co-pastors. I messaged him. I'm like, come on, man, that was mine. Like, yeah. Now, I was like, man, praise God. This guy that I was pastoring with was able to, to see this guy repent of his sins and trust in Jesus. And sure enough, bathtub, there he is in our bathtub with all the kids gathered around and seeing this guy uh, be, uh, be baptized and, and become a, a member of our church. And I look back at all of that and, and I just say, man, praise God for this perspective. Praise God for what Paul has given us and what God has given us to Paul in his word that I look back and say, listen, I watered. I watered a lot. I watered a lot and I labored in prayer and, and you know what, that was, that, those were seeds that were falling down, and I don't, I don't care. I rejoice that his name is now in the Lamb's book of life. That's what I rejoice in. And, and, uh, but God just reminds me through that in the same way that I hope he reminds you in your own lives and ministries, engage in hard gospel work. It's going to take energy. It's going to take some blood, sweat, and tears. But do that with an easy gospel rest, clinging to the, the, the simple message of Christ and him crucified, realizing that it's God who's going to bring the growth, and rejoice that he would count us among his stewards and among his servants. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would um, strengthen us and encourage us for this task. God, we thank you for the easy, light burden of Christ. We thank you for the uncomplicated message of the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to, to live this out and encourage one another to live this out in community. I pray for our missionaries right now who are, who are living this in a unique way. This has been hard for all of us, but certainly hard for those who are uh, maybe living away from their home country and even having more restrictions on them than, than even what we know here. God, I pray that you would... Uh, give them freedom and creativity in their ministry. God, help them to trust in the, your good providence of the season, what you're doing in them and through them. And God, we pray that, that they might be found faithful as they trust in you and labor for you. We pray in Jesus' name.